text today is from Galatians chapter 5, just one verse, and we're going to be picking up a couple other verses as we go through. Paul writes in Galatians 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Today, with the 4th of July being this Tuesday, taking a break from our series on the bad habits of Jesus, and instead, I wanted to take a look biblically at the idea uh, and the themes of the 4th of July. Namely, the words we use like liberty, independence, and particularly the word the Bible uses, freedom. What does biblical freedom look like? Now, freedom is actually a major theme of the Bible. It shows up a ton in the Bible. But interestingly enough, it's never really defined in the Scriptures. It's defined in the Scriptures really based on its opposites. And in the Bible, there are three opposites of freedom, three sort of images that the Bible uses to describe what freedom is all about. The first was prison. In, in the biblical times, people were thrown in prison when they couldn't pay off their debt. They had capital punishment, so... Um, you could be beheaded, you could be stoned, you could be all kinds of other things. But if you had a debt, you were sent to prison until you could pay off that debt. But do you understand the, the trouble with that, right? You're thrown in prison until you can pay off your debt. But how are you going to make money if you're in prison to be able to pay off your debt? It fell to your family. Your family had to work and work and work to try to get the money to pay off your debt to free you from prison. Which meant that very often, if you went to prison... You didn't have a lot of family or your family didn't have a lot of means. When you went to prison for debt, you stayed there and you died there. It was very harsh conditions in prison. It was not uncommon for people to be wrongfully imprisoned in those days with no real process of fighting the wrongs. So in the Bible, prison is one metaphor of, of, of this total loss of freedom. You're stuck. You can't get out. You're treated terribly. You might be there for the wrong reasons. You can't get out. And you may never, ever leave there. The second cultural touch point opposite of freedom was slavery. Now, we've got to be careful. Whenever we use the word slavery, we tend to think of what we learned in school as sort of antebellum southern slavery. And slavery in these days sometimes looked like that, but often did not. Okay, slavery, um, you can't put all your, your own cultural baggage on that. There were certainly terrible slavery practices in biblical times, but not all slaves were mistreated or even totally seen as property. You could be what's called an indentured servant, which is where you had a debt and you worked for a person until you could pay off your debt. Often, if you were a slave, it wasn't based on your race or ethnicity. It was just based on your life situation, and you weren't always stuck in that. Now, I say always. There are certainly times where this was abused. But there were a lot of times where actually slavery in, in the biblical times looked more like employment today than deep south slavery that you know of. Okay? You, you work for an employer and you owed that employer and that employer took care of you. If you wanted to go out on your own, you had to pay the cost to do that. Now the third cultural touch point opposite of freedom was what we would call oppression. Oppression. And oppression is that deep-rooted uh, very serious kind of slavery where you're pressed down. You're pressed down because of who you are. You're pressed down because of your race or ethnicity. And it was meant to break you. It was meant to treat you as property. Freedom is defined in the Bible as both literal and figurative release and escape from prison, slavery, and oppression. 
That's how the Bible defines freedom. It doesn't define on its own. It says freedom is the opposite of, of slavery and of oppression and of prison. Freedom is the opposite of those things. And of course, spiritual freedom is the same. Where we become slaves to something, we become oppressed by something, and we're suddenly brought to new life. God intends for us to be free. This is the whole story of the Old Testament, right? Remember the people of Israel and their struggle for freedom? It all starts when a man named Joseph with his technicolored dream coat, right? And he gets sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. And this is not the okay kind of slavery. It's not the employment kind of slavery. He's sold as property to someone else and he's forced to go to Egypt. But what happens in Egypt? He ends up saving both his family and Egypt. He says that God meant, that his brothers meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. So that puts the people of Israel, the whole family of Israel, it's just a family right now, in Egypt. And they grow, and they prosper, and they do well. And Joseph is a ruler in Egypt. And uh, the people are growing, but what happens? The Bible says a Pharaoh came to power that didn't know who Israel was, didn't know the story of Joseph. And he felt threatened by this growing nation in their midst. And so he seeks to oppress the people. He forces them into hard labor, treats them as expendable objects, kills all the firstborn males trying to wipe out the people or at least stop the people from growing anymore. You understand, this isn't just slavery, it's oppression. It's we're going to keep these people down because we're threatened by them. But God hears the cries of His people and sends Moses to free the people. It is the great moment of exodus, right? To exit, to leave, to be free. To go. It is the the defining story of Israel. Defining story of the Old Testament. God did not intend for us to be free. But to be in slavery. But intends for us to move on to freedom. And what's one of the first things Israel does when they go into the desert? They start talking about going back. Go back and read the story again. They're, They're right there at the Red Sea. The, the army of Egypt is coming along. <laughs> Why did we leave? At least we had food back there. At least we had... And again and again and again, they argue with Moses in the desert. Why don't we just stay there? We, at least we could live there. It's funny how our minds tend to remember certain things better than they actually were in the past. Right? Israel doesn't seem to remember all their firstborn sons being killed. The oppression. What they remember is at least we weren't in the desert. At least we weren't eating manna all the time when we were there. They start talking about wanting to go back. Then Moses goes to the mountain of the Lord. And the people decide while Moses is up on the mountain that that they want a God that they can worship, that they can see. They don't like this God they can't see kind of deal. They want to be free to work. They're free to worship their God in the desert, but they want a God like the Egypts. The Egyptians had. They want to go back. And as Eugene Peterson puts it, Aaron in this moment stops being their priest and becomes their accomplice. He says, okay, I'll make you. I'll make you this golden calf. And you can worship this golden calf. These people are given the opportunity to go out in the desert and worship the one true almighty God. And they say, nope, let's go back to the gods we had and we saw in Egypt. They don't know what to do with their freedom. It's said that Moses, it took Moses 40 days to get the people out of Egypt. And he took, it took Moses 40 years to get Egypt out of the people. 
took that whole time in the desert for them to start saying, no, 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 don't live like the slaves anymore. Let's move into the freedom that God has for us. In fact, that generation dies off before the next generation finally figures out what it means to be truly free in God. But if you keep reading the story, they continue to have trouble. They start worshiping all the other gods. They end up being overthrown by people. They end up being slaves again and again and again. And God brings up the judges. And the judges have to come in and right the wrongs and free the people again. Finally, we get kings, but the kings have some of the same trouble. Then finally, they are ripped from the land that God promised them and spread out among the Babylonian and the Persian empires in what we call the exile. They're in slavery again. Again and again and again in the Old Testament, God keeps calling through the prophets, okay, through certain good kings, saying, no, 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 don't go back to the slavery. Come into the free life that I have for you. But they keep going back. When Jesus is born, Israel is under the thumb of the Romans, still not free, still struggling to stay true in their worship. And Jesus sees himself on this mission of freedom. Listen to his, these words from Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. Jesus is going to be quoting some verses from Isaiah here. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, that he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of God's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on Him. Of course they were fixed on Him. They were looking for a Messiah that was going to come and free them. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus reads these words from the book of Isaiah, places his own ministry in this larger context of freedom in the Bible. He comes to bring freedom. And he talks about freedom a lot. In John 8, he says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He also adds a couple verses later. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And this Jesus who comes to set them free is arrested. He's wrongfully tried and he's set, sent to the cross. His movement was to be oppressed, squashed out by the killing of its leader. But the grave did not hold him. The moment of ultimate oppression became the moment of ultimate freedom. And later in the book of Acts, Jesus appears to an oppressor and a persecutor of Christians. His name was Paul. And he stops Paul on his way to attack Christians. And he says, no, 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 no. Now you're mine. Now you're going to follow me. And Paul, who was a Pharisee and is stooped in all this information about freedom, picks up on the idea of slavery and freedom in his work. And he looks at his life and he sees that he was a slave to the law with no way of freeing himself. He had no way of freeing himself from all these rules, from all these sacrifices he was supposed to make. 
but he sees Christ as the way to freedom. In fact, Paul turns the imagery on its head, saying that now we are that we are now slaves of righteousness and slaves of God. That we were slaves to the law and all these other things. Now the only thing we should be slaves to is God. The only thing that should keep us captive is what God's will is and what God's purpose is. Listen to his proclamation of freedom from Romans 8, 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What's Paul saying? He's saying, in in our flesh, in the law, there's nothing we can do to find true freedom. Nothing we're ever going to do. You're always going to need more sacrifice. You're always going to be no more, need more laws. You're never going to be perfect in the law. Paul says, but Christ becomes flesh. Where he, he takes on the situation we find ourselves in where we can find no freedom. And he dies there. He's risen from the grave. Why? To give us freedom. Now there's no more condemnation. There's no more of this law that constricts us. So why it drives Paul crazy when these people come along behind him and try to say, okay, now that you follow Jesus, um, you've got to be circumcised and you've got to follow the, the dietary law and you need to keep sacrificing at the temple and there's all these laws you've got to follow. And Paul says, no, 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 no. For freedom, we have been set free. Sounds kind of stupid actually, doesn't it? Why does Paul have to say that? For freedom, you have been set free. But Paul knows this hard truth this hard truth we see all over the Scripture, that when we're free, very often we feel the need to go back to the slavery that we knew and are comfortable with. God sets us free. Free from uh, attitudes. Free from habits. Free from, different, from bad relationships. Free from guilt. And yet how often in our lives do we return to the same slavery Christ set us free from? How often does God say, okay, I'll give you life, and we say, no, 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 we kind of like this death thing. I'll give you joy, but we sort of like this sadness thing. And we wear our pain and our sorrow like a badge of armor instead of really doing the hard work of moving into the freedom that Christ has bought for us. How free do you feel? How often have you seen somebody who struggles with an addiction and again and again and again returns back. How many times have you seen, maybe you've seen in your own life, bad habits that you just keep going back to? You just keep, keep returning to? How often have you seen someone in an abusive relationship where they know it's abusive and they say they're going to get it together and then they go right back? How many habits and sins can you see in multiple generations of your family and the family around you that you see passed on generation to generation struggling with the same thing? How often do you find yourself returning to the people, the patterns and the behaviors that you know are not good or godly? For freedom you've been set free. For freedom you've been set free. 
And it is not God's will that you keep returning to the same old you. Paul says that old you is dead. That old life is gone. And encourages you to put away that old life. And for Paul, it's a process. For Paul, you don't just instantly say, okay, I'm new. You carry all this baggage with you. But Paul says, put away all that and move into this new life, one for you in Christ. I remember I was doing... uh, uh, before I went to work in the church, I did team building a lot. So I was playing games with, with a group of basketball players. It was a basketball team that hadn't won a game in two years. They were awful. In fact, I was prepped before I did the team building with them by the, by the staff. They said, oh, they're, they're terrible. They're terrible. They haven't won in two years. They're probably not going to win this year. And so I was playing a game with them where, where we had a bunch of strings, and you had to pick up a ball and sort of move it around. And actually, they weren't that bad. But what would happen is when they would go to put the ball back down, somebody would like move their hand on purpose and knock the ball off. And they'd laugh. <laughs> yeah, we messed up. We better do it again. So they'd start over and do it. So for about 10 minutes, we didn't do anything but watch them be pretty good at this game and then mess it up on purpose at the end. And finally, I stopped them. And I said, yeah, what do you guys do with it? Is it easier to not try and not risk than to actually work hard at it and get it right? And we had a long conversation about how this team had gotten into this habit of losing and they couldn't break out of it because in the end, they were scared to try and fail. So it's easier, easier to just not try, you understand? It's easier for them to just not, it was really unhealthy. Except how many people do that exact same thing? It's easier to not try and just be stuck than what if I try and I fail, then it's on me. That is not how God intended you to live. Okay? For freedom you have been set free. Not for bondage, not to keep returning to the slavery and the prisons of your past. God's will is that you would live a life of abundance and fullness. You have been set free and there are others in your life that need to be set free also I don't think all of the forefathers and foremothers of our country were Christian Uh, I'm not sure that our country was ever a totally Christian nation but it was founded on certain Christian principles and one of them really was liberty and freedom okay and it was it's because a lot of people who came from Europe didn't have that didn't have that and they came here and then they felt oppressed by the king And so they wanted freedom. They wanted liberty. And you know where a lot of them got that idea? Was was their Christian faith. Was this idea that we ought to be free. And I sometimes worry about our nation. Whether we're losing some of that. Whether we understand that well. Whether we're defending that and protecting that well. But I'm telling you what, what our nation needs more than ever. Is free Christians. Christians who are not caught in their past, but are living the fullness of their freedom in Christ now. And if there were a lot more Christians that lived like that, I think that would change the whole tone of our nation that some of us are a little bit worried about. But it starts with us. And I hope as you celebrate Independence Day and the freedom that is so important to our nation, you will take some time to also reflect on the kind of true freedom that is offered to you in Christ.
Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you for freedom. We do thank you that you set us free, though we don't deserve it, though we could never earn it. You love us and offer us freedom. Let us live into that. Forgive us when we return to our old ways and our old habits. And help us to have grace when others do the same thing. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.